Welcome to Baker Act This, a podcast about the dark side of mental health commitments and examinations in Florida. This is our very first podcast, and essentially we're going to explore the legal issues surrounding involuntary mental health commitments in Florida and other states, but in particular Florida. This is put on by Paris Law, a mental health law firm in Florida, and we'll give you contact information on the website if you're you know, dealing with this particular issue, whether you have a loved one who's been Baker Acted or is currently incarcerated in a mental health facility. Um, This being our flagship podcast, we're going to go ahead and talk about an issue that's near and dear to my heart. I am Kendra Paris, the Managing Director of Paris Law. And one of the issues that's been making the news a lot lately is the Baker Acting of Children. That's taking a child out of his or her home or school or even from the hospital and placing the child into a mental health care facility against the parent's wishes. I'm sure most of you read a story about a seven-year-old who is Baker acted from his school in Miami. And uh, this was after he allegedly hit a teacher, and he had calmed down. He had been sitting in the principal's office for several hours, but a policeman did show up, and he was taken in handcuffs to a mental health facility. He was examined, and he was very quickly released, and this is a story that I hear a lot in my practice, is that kids are Baker-acted, which is intended to be a last resort. Uh, They are quickly examined by the the facility, and then they are released with the facility finding that the child did not meet the criteria for Baker Act under Florida law. Um, So the question becomes whether it was appropriate for the Baker Act to happen in the first place. Of course, the child technically under the law could have been arrested, and that's a point that many people make. But uh, there are other stories. There's the story of a six-year-old, a five-year-old. I've even heard of a two-year-old being (laughs) involuntarily admitted under Florida's Baker Act laws against the parents' wishes uh, for throwing a temper tantrum, essentially. Um, The issue received enough public scrutiny last year that the Florida legislature passed House Bill 1121. House Bill 1121 required that once a child is admitted to a facility, whether that's a hospital or a psychiatric facility under the Baker Act, that the child must receive the, uh, the examination, must at least have the examination initiated within 12 hours. Otherwise, the child's got to be released. Um, this expedites things, at least in theory, it's supposed to expedite things. There are some issues that come with that. But the, uh, the House Bill 1121 also created a task force to examine the rise in Baker Acts of children in Florida. And there's some interesting stats that go along with this issue. Uh, between the five years, 2011 to 2016, the number of Baker Acts of children rose by approximately 50% in the state of Florida. At the same time, Florida's population actually only increased by about 5, 5.5%. So that's a very large increase. And uh, the question becomes why? Why are so many more children being Baker Acted in Florida? And, and not only in Florida, this is happening essentially across the country. Well, the task force is issued a report, and that was in November of 2017, after conducting four public meetings. The public meetings involved mental health care professionals, hospital administrators, school administrators, public defenders who are tasked with defending adults and children who are submitted for further involuntary treatment after the 72-hour examin- w- examination window uh, concludes. 
and all of these individuals spoke and gathered information and tried to determine the root causes of the increase as well as concrete suggestions for curtailing both the use of involuntary examinations as well as the duration of these examinations, which still can last up to 72 hours, although that is an upper limit. Um, some people are under the erroneous belief that Baker Acts last 72 hours each time and every time. That's not, in fact, true. Uh, 72 hours is the maximum amount, amount of time that a facility can hold a person, whether a child or an adult, um, before they've got to make a decision. And that decision can be to either release the individual or to have the individual or the individual's parents, if we're talking about a minor, submit to voluntary treatment or alternatively, within that window, that 72 hours, the facility has to file a petition with the circuit court governing the county in which the patient is located uh, and requesting that the court have a hearing to determine whether or not the patient can be held longer. Um, the involuntary commitment upon hearing, assuming that it's granted by the court, uh, can be up to 90 days in certain situations, up to six months. Um, it's got to be constantly reevaluated if at any point a person fails to meet the strict statutory criteria for being Baker Acted, then they have to be released. So you could have a court order allowing for up to 90 days of treatment. And if at any point the patient progresses and gets better and no longer meets the criteria set forth in Florida law, then they have to be released even if it's only been a week or two weeks or three. So that 90 days, just like the 72-hour examination window, is an upper limit before the courts have to reevaluate. Uh, in any case, the task force issued this report, and they were unable to come up with any concrete reasons why these Baker Acts have risen, the number of Baker Acts have risen so dramatically among the child population, although I will point out that it's risen among the adult population as well, but this task force was specific, specifically looking at the problem of children. Um, one of the things that they pointed out was that there might be actual, legitimate, substantial behavioral changes in children, uh, many due to social media use and things like online bullying, and that these mental health changes and the increase in depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues among children is actually requiring that more children be Baker Acted, that we're actually doing the right thing, we're identifying these issues, and, and we're sending kids for inpatient treatment against their parents' wishes, um, in situations in, in which it's needed. And, uh, and I'll get to that later. I think that's a specious argument. But in addition to arguing that there have been legitimate changes in children's behavior, the task force points out that we're just getting better at determining whether or not a child has legitimate mental health and behavioral issues. We're, we're better at looking at a, a child and saying, that kid has clinical depression, or at least I think that that child has clinical depression or maybe bipolar or some sort of personality disorder. And, and I think this child is a, a candidate for an involuntary mental health examination. And so the, the argument becomes not only are kids sicker nowadays, but we're just better at pointing it out and, and noticing it. Um, that, that our awareness has risen in the past several years due to all, all manner a re reduction in stigmatization. That's one argument. Um, again, I find this specious, and I'll get to that later. Um, 
But the last, uh, the last thing that they point out is it might be the case that there aren't enough mental health resources before a child's behavior gets to the acute stage at which they need to be involuntary, involuntarily admitted. Um, and that might be the case too. Uh, we might need more counselors and mental health resources and, and things that parents can do to help their kids before they get to a point at which they need inpatient treatment. Now, all three of these look at the behavioral side of children um, and don't really address what I think the real problem is. What I think the real problem is is that if you look at the Florida statutes and the, cr the criteria that are set forth in those statutes for Baker acting either a child or an adult, they're very strict. Um, you have to have a child who appears to have a mental illness and because of that mental illness, the child is posing a substantial risk of harm to himself or others, so that's suicidal behavior or violence, a substantial risk. Or alternatively, because of that mental illness, the child is subject to self-neglect that's so severe that they're at risk of imminent harm. And, and this is important, there, is no other, there are no other services that can be utilized to prevent an inpatient situation um, with the help of family and friends. And so these criteria are strict for a reason. They are set forth to accommodate the constitutional issues that are at play when it comes to involuntary, let's face it, involuntary incarceration in a mental health facility because you can't leave. Whether it's a, your child or it's an adult, the patient cannot leave of their own accord or of the accord of the parents. And they're, you know, these facilities are using police powers to ensure that people don't leave before they are ready as far as the facility is concerned. Uh, so when it comes to children in these circumstances, the constitutional interests that are being protected by those strict statutory criteria are ones involving the, the parents' rights. Parents have a fundamental constitutional interest to the care, control, and custody of their children. And one of the Supreme Court cases that came out in 2000 actually determined that the, a parent's rights, and these are due process rights to the care and control of their children, is among the oldest of the fundamental rights that have been recognized by the Supreme Court. So when a facility, or actually when the individuals who initiate the Baker Act, that might be school personnel, it might be police personnel, it might be a healthcare professional, when they initiate the Baker Act and they take the child in without parental per permission to get some inpatient examination, really. At first, the 72-hour window is for examination to determine whether or not longer treatment is necessary. Um, they are infringing, if you will, on a parent's rights, due process rights, to the care, custody, and control of their children. And so there's got to be a countervailing interest, state interest, that mitigates this. And, and it's got to be substantial enough that it justifies taking away the parent's right of control. And so that means that the child can't just be mentally ill. And the statute makes this very clear. Mental illness standing alone, whether it's depression, anxiety, a personality disorder, bipolar disorder, mental illness alone is not sufficient to initiate a Baker Act. In addition to the mental illness, you need some sort of behavior that's caused by the mental illness that puts the child at substantial risk of harm, and there can't be any other mechanism by which to address it. 
And it seems to me that you have a lot of individuals, again, whether we're talking about school personnel, police personnel, or healthcare professionals, who don't understand the underlying constitutional interests that are at play when we're talking about the criteria as they are written into the statute. A lot of these people, and I would venture to say that most of them, don't get specific training, they're not lawyers, on the law. Um, they know generally what their colleagues have done, they've seen the Baker Act implemented in other situations, and they do whatever they think they need to do. Well, I do believe that in, in light of this lack of training, that the use of the Baker Act has started to become a first line of, of not defense, but a first-line tactic as opposed to a last resort. And it's supposed to be a last resort, again, because of the constitutional issues that are at play. Um, so once school personnel see that they can get rid of unwanted behavior by simply sending the child away um, to a mental health facility, instead of just calling the parents and, and having perhaps the child suspended, for example. Um, once they see that this is a tool, it starts to be used more and more. And there are very few things that a parent can do on the back end to maybe challenge the school's decision. Say, for example, a child is Baker acted and the facility finds out very quickly that the child shouldn't have been Baker acted, that, that this was an unnecessary situation. Well, there, there are very few legal avenues for children who are under an IEP and are therefore special needs children, uh, parents can actually argue that there was a failure to accommodate the child's special needs and that the use of the Baker Act was part of that failure to accommodate. So essentially you've got an ADA and an Individuals Dis with Disabilities and Education Act violation. But for kids who are Baker Acted who are not special education students, and that's the majority of them, this really isn't an avenue. So, you know, the, and especially when you've got a police uh, personnel who have initiated the Baker Act, they have qualified immunity from suit. So there's no way that you can, you can go after the police and say they made a bad decision in determining that my, my child needed to be Baker Acted. Same with healthcare professionals, they have some immunity. So there's, there's not much you can do. And in that respect, you have a hard time holding these individuals' feet to the fire when they make bad decisions, which is unfortunate because this is a very traumatic experience. And, and for, in, you know, for children who didn't need to be Baker acted, it's a needlessly traumatic experience. Now, this potential cause for the rise in Baker Acts of Children was given pretty short shrift by the task force. It, it, it didn't merit very much in their report. Um, and I think one of the reasons might just be that we don't have funds for it. We don't have funds for training. Um, and that's what it would take is training of all of these, you know, these schools, the districts, maybe going into police, you know, whether it's the sheriff's office or city police departments and giving them some educational training and tools to let them know you're, you're probably not going to be able to change the behavior of doctors. I will point out that as far as healthcare professionals go, that the vast majority of Baker Acts are initiated by primary care physicians, not psychiatrists. It's not the specialists who are actually doing this. And that makes sense because the specialists actually 
are more familiar with the Baker Act laws and the criteria that need to be followed. Uh, you know, primary care doctors are actually our number one mental health care providers in this country. Very few people do see specialists when they go to get antidepressants. They're being handed out, I think, 70% of the time by primary care physicians. And so it is also the case that most Baker Acts of children and adults are committed by primary care physicians. And so without training these individuals, and that, that might even be a matter of, of residency training, um, they're probably going to continue doing the same thing. And again, if they don't have any legal consequences on the back end, it's difficult to see how this sort of, of behavior is going to stop. Now, it is not just being at the facility that can be traumatic for a child. It's actually getting to the facility because when a child is Baker Acted, unless he or she is already at a hospital, they're going to be taken, and this is a requirement of Florida law, they're going to be taken by the police. And usually that doesn't involve handcuffs, but a lot of times it does. And they are taken by police cruiser. And so this is something, you know, maybe there are some boys who think that this is exciting. Uh, maybe there are some kids who are a little bit older who find it to be a, an educational experience, but for many children, as well as their parents, this is something that sticks with them. And, and so there's been an outcry in the past few years to allow parents of children who are at least of a, a younger age to be able to transport their children once a Baker Act has been initiated. The task force actually discussed this issue, and they were not in favor of it. They did not want parents to be able to transport their own children, and they threw out reasons such as, well, maybe the parents will abscond with the child. They won't actually take the child to the facility. Or, you know, maybe if, if we're talking about an unruly child, maybe more problems will happen on the way to the facility. And what about liability? These liability questions are just completely specious. They, 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 whether we're talking about a school district or, uh, you know, uh, it, the police personnel, they do not have liability for allowing a parent to transport their own chi child to a Baker Act facility. So uh, Representative Stubbe has actually proposed a bill in this legislative session, the 2018 session, to allow parents of children under the age of 14 to be transported to the facility. Um, and this is going to be a call of the police officer. So if the police officer determines that they're going to allow it to happen, they can, but they're not required under the law. You know, it's not as though children under 14 must be transported by their parents. The, the police get to make that determination. Um, we'll, we'll see. It's unclear whether or not this is actually going to make it uh, through the legislature. And as far as they're concerned, they have bigger fish to fry, I think. Um, Stubbe also presented a bill that would require that children be, at least have their examinations initiated within eight hours as opposed to the 12 hours that was implemented last year. There are some practical considerations that might make this impossible. Um, our healthcare facilities are over, uh, understaffed and, and underfunded. And so a lot of them complained at the task force meetings that they just couldn't do this. Um, and we'll see. There are other unique problems in Florida. For example, the Florida law requires that when a child is Baker Acted, he or she must be taken to the closest Baker Act receiving facility in the county. Well, there are certain rural counties in Florida, and Hernando comes to mind, but there are others, that don't have any Child Baker Act facilities. And so what happens is that the children are sent to an adult 
psychiatric facility. Now, these are places where you have adults who are in active psychotic episodes and who are perhaps drug abusers. So you have a child who's being thrust into a very traumatic situation and into a facility that's, that's not designed for them. And it's unfortunate. So the child's going to be at this uh, adult psychiatric facility for a while. And that adult psychiatric facility is going to be tasked with finding a bed for the child. And, and they're going to have to try to do it within that 12 hours because the clock starts ticking the moment the child arrives at the facility, whether it's a child facility or, facility or not. And what's more is that the adult facility has no authority pursuant to the, the, the regulators to actually treat the child. They can't start the examination. They can't give the child medication. They can't really do anything. So the, the child is just sitting there. Um, and I think a, a really easy fix would be to require that in counties that have no Child Baker Act facility, you would need to require that the child be taken to the closest general hospital with an emergency department because these facilities actually can start the examination. Just a thought, but nobody threw it out. Nobody actually thought that this was something that needed to be worked on. They, they were discussing other issues. They were discussing poverty and, and online bullying and social media and things that are important and they, they do need to be addressed, but I don't think get to the heart of the issue. And I do think that the heart of the issue is that people just don't understand the statute. They don't understand the law, and they don't understand why the law was written the way that it was written as a last-line defense. So that's the end of our flagship podcast on Baker Acting in Florida. This, of course, only concerned children and only the basics. There are a lot of other issues that come into play, such as medications, whether or not you can refuse medications, either on behalf of yourself or on behalf of your children, you know, who happen to be at a Baker Act facility. A lot of times the facility wants to give medications that you're not comfortable with, and there are good reasons to be uncomfortable with it. For example, antidepressants. Do you want to have your child on them? That'll be for another podcast, and it's a very interesting topic, so I hope that you'll stick around for the next one. Thanks.